and in more unbelievable news. After immense public pressure, Jeep finally calls it quits on production of new Cherokee. And now this. Welcome to the XJ Talk Show. You're listening to the premier podcast about Jeep Cherokees, off-road adventures, tips that you can use, and interviews with people in the off-road industry. And now, here are your hosts, Tony and Josh. Hey, this is Tony. And this is Josh. And we're here on the XJ Talk Show. Uh, for you folks that are uh, in the uh, Ustream uh, chat room, uh, it is a live show for you guys. Uh, we have it every week, 10 p.m., uh, ustream.tv slash channel slash XJ Talk. And, uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> and as I was saying, uh, uh, my name's Tony. It's Motoroy on XJTalk.com, which is the Jeep, uh, premier Jeep Cherokee forum, not to be confused with the 2014 uh, Jeep Cherokee that uh, was just in our intro. No, it's all about the XJs. Uh, of course, we uh, do. Uh, we are fans of all that is Jeep and off-roading as well. And uh, we're here to, well, support that, support the site, and talk a little bit about our beloved Cherokee. You know, Josh, uh, speaking of uh, Jeep uh, Cherokee 2014 news, I heard the other day that the Jeep Cherokee 2014 is going to be having the first three-letter designator. Oh, jeez. I, I'm just, I'm going to call it quits right now. I'm fed up. <laughs> I think you'll like it. They're calling it the POS. There, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, where's the fanfare? We need a grand applause for that one. <laughs> <laughs> the, the JK, the TJ, the XJ, and the POS. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, it's fitting. Folks, if you haven't guessed already, uh, we over here at the XJ Talk Show pretty much consider the 2014 Cherokee, the Cherokee we all love to hate. It is a it is a sign of the apocalypse. Uh, the the six 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 should be somewhere on it. Uh, I guess though, really, I think the and I think I speak for both of us, Josh. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the only problem that I have with it is they're calling this bastardized piece of crap a Cherokee. Yeah, no, not a fan. Uh, they should have called it something else. Uh, and I'm sure just about any other XJ enthusiast is is on is on board with that as well. Yeah, well, they you know the. the they have market studies and so on and so forth. They'll, they'll probably make a billion dollars, and then 30 years, they'll have to recall it <laughs> like they're having to do with the Grand Cherokees. But I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. Um, so uh, if you guys don't know, uh, I said it uh, briefly in the, the intro, we do have a Jeep Cherokee website. Uh, everybody's welcome, whether you have a Cherokee or not. Hell, you can have a Jeep Liberty. Um, and you're welcome to, to head on over there to the site. You don't even have to have a Jeep. You can have a Ford uh, a, uh, um, I was going to say a Dodge, but really a Jeep is kind of Chrysler Dodge anyway. Uh, a Chevy, anything. You're you're always more than welcome. But we do talk a lot about Jeep Cherokees over there. Uh, we have a section for Grand Cherokees. We have a second section for Wranglers, uh, and uh, we even have a section for MJs, the Comanche. I think uh, we all over there love the Comanche because it's uh, you know, it's like a uh, like a Jeep Cherokee, but in uh, truck style. So. So if you uh, if you're a, a Jeep fanatic, you uh, should come over there and join us at uh, Jeep uh, at our Jeep Cherokee site xjtalk.com, and you may find it's a bit different because we make sure that everybody's welcome. So whenever you ask a question, you're not going to get flamed uh, for it being a dumb question or told Google is your friend or any of that stuff that uh, just discourages anybody from posting. Yep. In fact, uh, it's it's probably your premier source for tech information regarding the Cherokee. Uh, we do focus on on the tech side of things on the Cherokee. Uh, as Tony said, that we do have some sections over there for the Grand Cherokee. I think there might even be uh, some stuff up there for some of the other Jeeps, but we do focus on the Cherokee. And in the podcast here, we also focus on some tech related around the Cherokee as well. And we'll get to that later in the show today. You know, and I, I never mention it in the show, but we actually have some Jeep Wrangler listeners uh, to this podcast because they've been kind enough to reach out to us and and let us know that uh, they are, are so hungry for a Jeep podcast that uh, they really appreciate ours and I uh, uh, wish we had a little bit more uh, Jeep Wrangler information in it. And uh, frankly, uh, from our wranglertalk.com website, I've put out the word asking for anybody that has some uh, tech information, a lot of tech information actually on the uh, the various Wrangler models. 
we'd like to have you as part of the show because we'd like to uh, wedge in our, our our next favorite Jeep, which is the uh, the Wranglers. Absolutely, and a lot of the tech you'll hear on the uh, on the XJ Talk Show here, and some of the tech you find on the website, it goes across platforms. Uh, it can become in it can come in pretty handy uh, in dealing with a lot of things. Now, obviously, there's very specific issues that we run into with the Cherokees that you won't find uh, in working on any any other Jeep. However, uh, some of the, the tips and tricks involved in getting around some circumstances and some of the snags we run into when working on our Jeeps, they can be applied to pretty much across any platform. Yep, and uh, certainly the, uh, the TJs um, are uh, very, uh, very similar to the, uh, the XJs with the, uh, usually the same power plant uh, transmission and uh, uh, at least uh, the, uh, the axles, uh, front and rear axles. Yep. Um, uh, well, I guess I don't guess any of the the the, the TJs came with uh, Chrysler 8.25s. That would have been nice. No, I actually, although I uh, I have run into a guy on the trail who had a uh, Chrysler eight and a quarter swap in his uh, in his TJ instead of the Dana 35. He couldn't source a, a 44. His 35 was on his way out, and he didn't really want to go through all the work of um of swapping in an 8.8. Although really, it was just about as much work because he had to weld on perches and. And all the other uh, all the other brackets and stuff like that. But he said uh, he's had that in there for about a year or so and is very happy with it. So uh, it's obviously there's there's uh, there's room for uh, for an eight and a quarter in the back there. And if you're willing to do the work, yeah, bolts yeah. right in. Well, the twenty nine spline is uh, is a is a nice uh, a nice axle and just uh, damn near close uh, to a Dana forty four in strength. It just has the C clips could, that could cause you some trouble, but. Hell, if you put disc brakes on it, uh, now the the disc brakes will hold the axles in if they break. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, I believe in uh, Eric Zappi's uh, book. He's a uh, he's a fan and a and a friend of the site. Uh, the the Jeep Builders Performance uh, the Performance Jeep Builders Guide out of the Jeep Cherokee. Uh, he mentions in the, uh, the comparison between the eight and a quarter and a Dana forty four being uh, the eight and a quarter about eighty six percent as strong as a forty four. I thought it was higher than that, but. Uh... Well, uh, those numbers are sticking in my head. I could be wrong. So, Eric, if you're listening and I've quoted you improperly, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, when I said I, I think it, I, I don't know. I was, I guess I should have said I would hope it was higher than that. But 86%, I guess that's good. Anyway, as you can see, we like to talk about Jeeps here. And both uh, uh, Josh and I, I started to call you Cherokee. Both uh, <laughs> Josh and I are Cherokee owners. Uh, Josh has the woefully uh, inadequate 99, and I've got the uh, the 98. <laughs> <laughs> actually i'm a big fan of the 99 as well uh that, that to me is the best year of the jeep cherokee and if you have one uh, consider yourself lucky yep that is one thing that uh tony and i can definitely agree on any day of the week the 99 is by far in our opinion uh, one of the best cherokees ever built now i can say that because i own a 99 as well but my daughters drive it so uh the 98 is my uh my daily driver and the the one that i bought uh bought new all oh so many years ago. Well, Josh, uh, let's get into this thing uh, here in the show notes about the uh, the Jeep. Your Jeep is making noise. Yeah, I was going to say, speaking of Cherokees and, and the 99 and, and, well, snags and stuff we run into. So uh, last uh, last episode, I think we went into a little bit about uh, my, my experiences with Northwest Fest, the Naxxas Northwest Fest. And it was a relatively long drive to get there, and it was a, a weekend of uh, some fairly decent wheeling, and I'm not going to say hard wheeling because honestly, uh, I've put it through its paces in a little bit harder and harsher environments than that. Uh, but it was different, and um, and I don't know if it was a combination of the the rather lengthy amount of hard pack of of service roads that we had to drive on to get there. Which, if if any of you have to drive across logging roads uh, to get to your wheeling destination, you know they can get that washboard. Uh, kind of texture to them, and it's really, really hard on the Jeep uh, because it, it it just it really works the shocks, it works that suspension very hard, uh, especially if you're doing any amount of speed over them. If you're doing five or ten miles an hour, you're really not going to notice it. But if you're doing 25, 35 miles an hour on these service roads, trying to get to your destination, and we had to travel, I'm going to say a good 10 or 15 miles of these logging roads just to get to the first trail. And, uh, you know, we did that several times. I mean, you know, once out, you know, once in and once out at least, uh, and there was a night run in there and then across two or three days of this, uh, geez, I mean, I, I was knocking fillings out of my teeth. So, um, I really didn't notice it all that much, especially on the way home because, well, I was so loaded with gear. 
Uh, now I'm not daily driving my, my Jeep anymore. It's, um, that my girlfriend is, however, she, she drives it around, uh, you know, here and there, keeps it local. And over the last week, she's been saying it's making some noise. It's squeaking. And I'm like, okay, well, it's a Jeep. They do that, you know? So I, I really didn't, you know, pay much of a never mind to it. Um, however, I drove it this weekend. I, I had to DJ a big, uh, a big car show here locally. And, uh, after I loaded up my gear and I was driving out to the event, boy, howdy, the suspension is just creaking and squeaking like nobody's business. Uh, I, I'm, I'm thinking it might be control arm bushings. Uh, it could be spring isolators. I don't know, but it's loud. I mean, you could probably hear it a block away. Now, I'm not getting any drift. I'm not getting any wander. Um, the body doesn't feel like it's shifting or anything like that above the suspension. Uh, so, you know, I haven't spent a whole lot of time to narrow this thing down exactly. So, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not too terribly worried about it cause I can't feel it when I drive or steer, uh, or, you know, I hit a bump or anything like that. So I, I know that nothing is, is completely out of whack. I really gave the Jeep a super thorough once over before I left for that long trip a couple weeks ago. So I, I was confident in what I found. Um, there was nothing that was, you know, really out of whack, nothing that was super loose. I did take off my control arms. Um, tightened them up a little bit because uh, I had the flex joints on one end. I greased everything up really good. Uh, went over everything with a wrench and a socket. Didn't see anything that was any red flags to me, so I you know, moved on. So now that the squeaking is coming up, I might take a second look at the, at the isolators. I'm going to pull those control arms out once more, really give the Jeep a thorough rocking and see if I can't isolate that noise. But it's definitely something I'm going to have to look at. And I'll, of course, keep you guys posted as to what I find. So if you're having the same kind of issues, where your suspension's kind of squeaking and, and talking a little bit more than it normally has, well, I might have a fix for you next show. Yeah, and for, cert- and for sure, he'll be posting up on xjtalk.com. And uh, Josh is really good about taking lots of pictures. If there's any, any pictures to be taken, he will, uh, he will, will take it and, and uh, post up there. Now, yep. uh, Josh, let me start, ask you. Started the, I'm sorry, I've already started the write-up on the, the trip report from the Naxos Northwest Fest, and I should have that up this week on xjtalk.com. Okay. So uh, I just want to ask you, this doesn't sound like a rota- rotational squeak, right? Something that might be ju- U-joint related? No, it's not like that. It's nothing that, um, that changes in pitch or frequency or harmonics as with the speed of the vehicle. Uh, it's just, you know, I turn a corner and it squeaks. As the suspension cycles, it squeaks. I mean, it's definitely suspension related. So it's not, it's not anything with, um, you know, any sort of a bearing or a U-joint or anything that spins. It's things that flex that is making the squeak okay well frustrating but probably not dangerous yeah that's what i'm that's why i'm not you know i didn't you know immediately pull over and start you know investigating everything i was like okay well you know i'm confident and i know sort of which which components this is coming from it's not coming from the rear end it's all up in the front so um you know i've i've isolated it to you know it's not steering related it's obviously suspension so, and it's, nothing's going anywhere. So I'm, that's why I'm not really overly concerned at this point. Uh, but it is something I'm going to take care of here really soon. Yeah, I don't blame you. That's one of the, one of the main reasons why I got off of the Adeliefs uh, and on to the full leaf, pa- leaf packs because uh, at wintertime, uh, you would hear a lot of squeaking uh, from those things. And I just didn't like it. Uh, I knew I was going to go to the, uh, the full leaf packs anyway. But uh, that, that, was a, uh, that was a good reason to uh, push, me, push me along to get it done. Well, I'm in the same boat as you, Tony. I'm going to I'm going to actually replace my springs, my rear leafs. Um they were 3-inch full leaf pack replacements uh when I bought them and now they've they've been through a lot of wheeling. Um they have hauled a lot of heavy loads uh with the amount of DJ gear that I that I uh transport uh for each gig with the Cherokee uh with this last um this last trip up to um the Wenatchee National Forest, uh, the Snoqualmie National Forest in Wenatchee. Um that for Northwest Fest, the Jeep was so heavily loaded. The the rear end was was sagging pretty good, and uh, with with the amount of road miles that I put on it, uh, and then you know several days of wheeling, and then another heavy load, and a lot of road miles back home, that those rear springs I think are are about due for replacement. Now they're they're not worn; they just can't handle a heavy load anymore, and. It's a three-inch leaf, and I'm running two-inch shackles. That puts me at five inches. The front is sitting about five and a half. I want to sort of match that and maybe add another inch to it. So I'm going to go with a four-and-a-half-inch leaf pack here very soon, uh, replace those three inches uh, three inches out. I'm 
going to keep the two inch shackles, have a good solid six and a half inch lift in the back. If it gives me a little bit of positive rake on the front, um, so be it. Uh, that's not a bad look anyways. Uh, but I'm going to end up at probably putting in some new isolators and probably some one inch spacers in the front as well, if not some uh, adjustable coilover spacers, uh, because I'm going to be very soon uh, getting a winch bumper put on there. And, uh, and I'm going to need a little bit of, um, a little bit of adjustment to compensate for the weight difference. Well, as much crap as you load, uh, load up in that thing, uh, having a little bit higher in back wouldn't be a bad deal, especially when you start putting on that uh, trailer hitch, uh, carrier or whatever you call it, a little tray. Yeah. Especially that. Yeah. Putting that weight out, uh, giving a little more lever action. It, uh, it definitely, uh, causes, uh, uh, the Jeep to, to, to bend under the, you know, minor really, I mean, you could put uh, probably 300 pounds back there and, and you would see a lot different than if you just had it over the axles. So, yep. Yep. Well, speaking of uh, Jeep issues, Tony, you've uh, done some uh, tinkering on your own Jeep uh, recently, haven't you? Yeah. I finally got out there today. Yesterday we had a, a high temperature of 103 in Ooh. the, uh, the Houston area. And, uh, my wife and I, uh, decided we'd go catch a movie. We went and saw, um, I always want to say Dragon Ball Z, but it's not, it's, uh, that's something my kids used to watch. War Z. I'm yeah. Guessing. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I'll, uh, I'll not do a, um, not do a full review or, uh, any spoilers here, but I will say I was a bit disappointed. Oh, the, um, uh, you see all the special effects in the previews. Mm-hmm. and uh it, the the well this may be a bit of a spoiler so if you guys don't want to hear that you know if you're on the podcast just fast forward if you're listening in the chat room uh stick your fingers in your ears and go na 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 anyway <laughs> uh <laughs> the uh i kind of expected the brad pitt character to be some under uh well not undercover but a an ex-badass that has uh you know there was a, a real go-getter type individual kind of like um uh, the Reds movie was, but you know, more uh, uh, legitimate, not uh, not a comedy, but a, a real uh, drama type thing. Anyway, oh, me, this movie wasn't a comedy, was it? Not at all. Okay, uh, good. But that's what I'm saying. But I mean, the, the, they were ex CIA and they were you know trained assassins and in in Reds, so uh, or in Red. So I uh, I kind of thought that might be what Brad Pitt was based on what I'd seen in the previews, and it wasn't like that at all. It was kind of a, a mystery that was uh, kind of like the Andromeda strain, uh, but but not as far as a, a lab situation. Uh, so, but but the the problem I had with the, the the mystery of the thing was it was very very simple. It was not thought provoking in the least. So it was almost like a a cartoon. Um, it was interesting. It was a good movie, but about three quarters of the way through, I was I was thinking to myself. I'm ready for this to be over. Let's let's get to the end. So anyway, um, uh, it has a high rating on Internet Movie Database. It was a, it was a decent movie. Uh, the special effects were good. Uh, yada yada yada. So uh, you know, uh, post up on XJ Talk. Let us know what you think about movies. We do talk about more than just uh, Jeeps on there. Anyway, so uh, uh, we took the 99, and in that 103 degree heat, uh, the air conditioner got down to 50 degrees very quickly. It drove well. Now this is my first drive since the uh, putting the three-inch lift kit on it, and uh, I had a I heard a bit of a popping noise. I'll uh, I need to check the the tightness of everything in any way, um, but uh, all in all, really nice. Uh, no uh, no pulling to one side or the other. Uh, steering wheel centered. Um, air conditioner, which was not part of the lift, obviously, but something I've been working on, uh, kept us cool. Uh, we we went and had dinner. Got back in the uh, the ninety nine, went over to Sam's uh, Sam's Club, uh, and then went home, and it was a very pleasurable uh, drive. So uh, anyway, uh, getting to the uh, the ninety eight. So the ninety eight uh, turn signal has been acting up uh, for, gosh, probably close to a year, if not longer. And uh, I went over to Rock Auto and uh, purchased uh, a uh, signal high beam uh, left right signal high beam uh, complete unit that uh, attaches there on the steering wheel column. And uh, I've been sitting on that for a little while, but my inspection sticker went out on uh, uh, May 31st. So uh, even though it does work, I didn't want to get into one of those situations where the guy tries to hit the thing for the left turn signal and it doesn't start going. I go, oh yeah, here, let me do it. (laughs) And, you know, it's like, what's he going to do? You need to fix that and come back or, you know, so why mess with it? 
I had the thing, so I went out there today and uh, bought a new fan at Sam's yesterday to, to go in the uh, in the garage. And on low speed, it's very nice. It's a uh, about a fifty, no, about a a thirty uh, thirty inch fan, maybe smaller than that, but it pushes a lot of air. And uh, it was very nice out there about six o'clock tonight working on that. Um, I put that uh, I put that unit in. It uh, both left right seemed to work fine, and uh, I did have a bit of a problem with it. Uh, the signal turning off whatever you return from a right-hand turn. Because mm. there's a little switch in there that catches on the steering wheel inside and flicks the turns the uh, the signal off. So uh, I'll know more tomorrow, but uh, it, the, all those things may be fixed. And I'm, and hopefully this Wednesday I'll be getting off a little bit early, uh, you know, prior to uh, July 4th. That's this kind of what they do at work. And uh, get off for one, 1 or 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and I'm going to try to hit the inspection station uh, at that time. You know, hit it whenever uh, pe- most people are working, and that way maybe I won't, won't have to wait. Well, you know, there's, it's interesting you mentioned uh, the, the, the turn signal thing. I actually discovered an issue with my signals, well, kind of my signals, uh, this, uh, this last trip a couple weekends ago, uh, Northwest Fest. Uh, we at one point all pulled over onto the shoulder. And, um, and this is way out in the boonies and this is, you know, country road meets more country of a road. And, uh, and you know, we're, we're miles from anything, but it's an intersection where two, you know, highways meet basically. And, uh, and so we all pulled over onto the shoulder. Well, I was, I was the last vehicle in line and I, um, I went to go throw on my hazards and nothing happened really. And so I kind of jiggled the switch back and forth, and I could hear the relay clicking, but the indicators in my dash did not come on. Um, and then so hmm. I flicked it back and forth again one more time, and only one indicator came on, but I heard the relays clicking. And so I was like, you know, that's really weird. And so I think it was the, um, the, the, the left indicator was coming on, but the right one wasn't. So I turned off the hazards. I checked my turn signals. They, they both work just fine. Um, turn the, you know, flip the hazards back on again, only the left indicator. So I turned my turn signal on to the right and now both indicators were working with the flashers. So it's something I'm going to have to look into. I just replaced the flasher unit about a year ago or so. And, um, so I know it's not that, uh, so I'm thinking it might be something in that hazard switch. I might have to take that thing apart, clean it up, put some dielectric grease in there and, uh, and put it all back together. I, I, I don't know. I haven't gone through a whole lot of troubleshooting on it because honestly, I think that's the first time in about a year or more that I've actually turned the hazard switch on. Well, I'll so, tell you that the hazard switch is part of the, the thing that I replaced. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. It's, it's high beam, low beam, left, right, uh, signal and hazard. Well, see, now I've, I've never had any issue with any of the other functions. Um, my flasher, unit did go out uh, once and I knew it was a flasher because well I didn't have any turn signals um, and so I replaced that unit and everything works just fine uh, but it's uh, it's interesting I, I, that might be uh, a unit that I'm going to end up having to have to replace in the long run if it's just a matter of that part of the switch unless it's something serviceable or that I can take apart and and fix basically so I'll have to look into that well, we got a caller. Um, let's uh, let's go to the caller. Uh, caller, what's your name and uh, where are you calling from? Oh, hello. Is that me? Oh, sorry. <laughs> well, I just have a question, actually. My uh, blower motor seems to be acting on the fritz kind of often now. This is the second time it's happened. What happens is I'll turn on my AC into low and what happens is it'll short out the car practically. Like the car loses power, the headlights will dim, and then the blower motor stops working, and now all of a sudden nothing works. The AC doesn't work, the heater doesn't work, the vent doesn't work, and neither does the defroster. So I tried turning it to high to see if anything would work, and nothing. Just the vent works in high as if it was on low. Now, the first time this happened, the uh, car did the same exact thing, but everything would work in low, but the heater resistor would just glow like crazy so i replaced that and it seemed to have fixed it but now that i put it back into low it just went out again and i think i'm thinking that there's something wrong with the blower motor itself maybe there's a coil or something grinding out or grounding out sorry on something and maybe it's just i don't know pulling too much power so i was thinking that i'd just replace everything because it blows the fuse Uh, a little bit of smoke came out of the climate controls the first time 
<laughs> so I think it might have done something to the climate control center. So I'm just not sure. I think maybe it has to do with the blower motor because it works fine after I replace the resistor, but I'm just I'm not really feeling like replacing it with another resistor and having that one go out too. So I just want to know what you guys think about that. Well, there's a there's a few issues going on here, and I'll, I'll go ahead and, and go down the list and address these um, uh, as uh, as as you've uh, as you as you as you've mentioned them. So uh, it's kind of normal for when you click on the AC for there to be a draw on not only electrical current uh, but also on the Jeep's engine. You basically, as soon as you click on that AC, the uh, the clutch on the AC compressor is engaged. Now that is engaging that that pump, that AC pump. And that is another, basically another device on the engine that is having to work. And it's all powered by that, by the serpentine belt. And once that's engaged, now you have that much more draw on the, on the engine itself. Now, of course, with that, you're going to drop in RPMs a little bit. You drop in RPMs uh, and with an addition of the load of not only the component, but it's also electrical. Uh, so you have an electrical draw as well. And so there's there's a lot of things that are working a, a sort of against the efficiency of the engine against the alternator etc. Um, refreshing and your your um, your well. vehicle's uh, power wires are going to help with that a little bit as far as the lights dimming and things like that. Um, that that will help yeah. out a little bit as far as that's concerned. Now as far as like the uh, the the, mo- the motor blowing and everything like that, and of course seeing a little bit of smoke coming out. Um, there's a couple issues there. Now, if the smoke came out of the actual controls themselves, that might be something you want to look into, uh, actually removing the, um, the heater controls, looking at the, there's a little circuit board back there on the older models. Um, it's, it's all basically cable and, and, and stuff actuated. Uh, take a look at, at any contacts back there on the newer models. It's a lot of it's vacuum controlled. Um, but also something you want to look into is going to be the actual blower motor itself. Now, there's brushes on that motor that uh, basically feed the electrical current to the motor itself. Those brushes are basically like little magnets. Uh, they're, they're, a fer- they're a ferritic uh, metal, and they wear out over time. If you've got a lot of hours or a lot of miles on the Jeep, there's a good chance that those have worn out. And although there's a spring in there that pushes those contacts against the motor, um, that, that, that contact is supposed to be a little bit of a buffer between that. So if the spring is now making that contact instead of the actual um, instead of the actual brush, well, you're you're not going to have the kind of results you're going to be really ideally wanting out of a blower motor. It might still work. It's not going to work the way it should, and it could be arcing out. It could be shorting out, and that could be what's blowing your your resistor uh, quite frequently, or even popping fuses. Okay, that would make sense because the car's 20 years old. It's a 94 Jeep Cherokee, and it's got about 262,000 miles on it. So it's got some things to replace. I was figuring that being the stock blower motor and everything, I would probably have to replace that at some point. So that sounds pretty logical that it would be the blower motor itself. I mean, 262,000 miles with that thing. I mean, that's, that's got to be well beyond its life, I would assume, for stock. I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't rule the. I wouldn't say that twenty years would would make a would would just say that that would be the the issue. It's more the symptoms that you're having that uh, w- would be an indicator uh, if it's if it's bad or not. Now it's not going to be fun at all getting to that blower motor because you do have to remove the entire dash to get to yeah. the pod that it's in. At least I believe the the older models are the same as the the ninety seven pluses. Yeah, I don't think that you're going to be able to actually get to that blower motor very easily. Um, you, the easiest way is going to be removing the dash. You could fight it and try to do it um, by removing the glove box uh, and trying to do it from underneath, but I, I still don't think that you're going to be able to drop that motor and get to both contacts, so both of those brushes for that motor easily enough to, to try and fight it and without removing the dash. Uh, it's really not all that hard of a procedure uh, you just got to take your time. Probably, I would consider, you know, plan on doing it the entire weekend. Yeah. Uh, especially if you've never done anything like this before. Uh, just go through, take your time, unscrew everything that you possibly can, unplug everything that you possibly can, can, label everything as you go along. Because when it comes time to put it all back together, it's going to help you uh, to in memorizing where everything went. That's a good idea. Yeah. And because and also, I've never actually done this before. I've never actually. Move the blower motor. I mean, I've seen YouTube videos where they just go from 
underneath the windshield wiper base in that little section there, but I wasn't entirely sure that that'd be exactly what I needed to get to. Um, so, I mean, if there's any videos that you guys could recommend or anything on how to do this or any type of how-to articles with pictures possibly, that would work too, because I'd rather do this correctly instead of blowing the brand new motor and the new resistor and everything again. Well, if you, uh, I doubt very seriously that if you swapped in uh, a new blower motor that you wouldn't have to do it a second time. I was just going to caution you on uh, perhaps going to the junkyard and picking one up. I, I mean, I think that's perfectly... No, I wouldn't pick an old one up. Yeah, I think that's perfectly that, reasonable, that but there's like, so much work that you have to go through to get to the, you know, getting the dash off. I highly recommend replacing everything new. And if you can, is your is your air conditioning working on the 94? Uh, no, nothing works. The AC doesn't work. The heater doesn't work. The defroster doesn't work, and neither does the uh, the vent. Those don't work either. Well, if if you're if you're uh, interested in having AC working on the vehicle, which I think most of us are, uh, you might consider. Yeah, right now, I am. Yeah, you might consider uh, go ahead and and planning on purchasing the. Uh, I always get always call it wrong. I think it's the condenser, the evaporator. What is it? Not not it's not those things. Um, there's a, a part of the air conditioning system that's in that, that same pod along with the, the heater core. You get the, that unit, the heater core, and the blower motor. Uh, I recently did that. Uh, really, uh, the fellow admin on xjtalk.com uh, drove over here from Conroe to my house, and one afternoon uh, he and I took that dash out and replaced all three of those components because I was not going to uh, just replace the heater core that I, I knew I had an issue with and not replace the other two components at the same time. It, it just, all that work, it just doesn't make any sense to save, you know, 100 bucks or 150 bucks and not replace everything. So I, I was just going to recommend, you know, it, but definitely put a new blower motor in there. And I know that, uh, I remember this post on xjtalk.com, so uh, I'm not going to tell you to post up, but uh, there's a, a lot of good information uh, from people on the site. So uh, don't just go by what we're telling you here. Uh, listen to the consensus of, uh, of the answers that you're getting on the post because uh, I don't want to steer okay. you the wrong way. I certainly don't want you going down the, the path of having to remove that dash and that not solving your problem. It's a lot of work. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, okay. spending a little bit of time doing some troubleshooting and, and some investigation, uh, getting yourself a decent little uh, logic probe or a test light and, and testing circuits, looking at ground wires, uh, looking at the actual controls themselves, making sure that, that everything, you know, you don't have a broken cable uh, or, you know, a shorted out contact in a, in a switch or something like that. Um, you know, little things. Uh, eliminate as much as you can before you end up throwing parts at something. I just go through a process of elimination and eventually you'll find uh, what's going to be your, the culprit for the whole thing. It might take some time. It's, there's not going to be an overnight fix. Um, but I would recommend that before you just start dumping money on parts and doing, going into a project such as removing the dash. Yep. Okay, so just start doing the process of elimination. If that doesn't work, then start thinking about getting some new parts then. Is that kind of what we're recapping on? Try to identify with a, a, a pretty good degree of certainty what the issue is. The thing that concerns me the most is the, the, the resistor, the load resistor, uh, glowing. That indicates a, a very high current situation. You don't, mm-hmm. have, uh, you don't have any over uh, fuses in place that are... Um, a rated higher than what they what they should be, like um, you know, like a, oh, a thirty amp a fuse. Twenty five amp fuse is what it's supposed to be, and I I heard that they only run uh, not that much. They run just under that, so that in case it gets higher, it'll just blow it. That's what I've heard. But it is a twenty five amp fuse. Well, for a, for a a resistor, a load resistor like that to start glowing, that's a lot of current. So right. uh, I would just be a little concerned about the wiring. Uh, be the next thing that starts to glow, if if the res, if the uh, the the fuse that is in there is oversized. Okay, yeah, because it always seems to happen. It always seems to blow when I put it into the low, because that was what was affected the first time this happened, and then the second time I put it into low, it maybe lasted about five to ten seconds, and then it decided to blow and short again. So I think it might be stemming from the low setting. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure, but if it is from the low setting, I think. Wouldn't that 
that would usually call call for uh, replacing the climate controls themselves, right? And checking uh, along the uh, low settings to see if there's any type of short circuit anywhere. Uh, am I correct on that? Josh, I don't know if you know. Uh, I mean, I would think that, uh, I mean, he saw some smoke from that area. I just don't know the wiring, how they how they wire up the climate control like that, if it's a separate wiring or how they handle the different, you know, currents. Okay, so the the actual fan speed switch is really the only electrical switch in that um, uh, in in that climate control. The rest of it is all cable actuated. Um, so when when you saw smoke, chances are it was from a short in the actual fan switch itself. Now everything else is going to be. Um, you're going to see like, you know, guides and grooves and, and what looks like, you know, cables that you would attach to your bicycle or something like that. Everything else is all cable driven. It, it actuates doors, a blender door uh, for, you know, hot and cold, uh, it, you know, or, or how it moves the air from your defrost to your heat to your vent, um, et cetera. But the actual fan switch itself is, is going to be electrical. That's what I want you to take a look at. So you're going to have to remove that, that facade on the face of the dash, get that out. Um, actually, and I think there's there's four screws that hold those climate that climate control switch in. Uh, you'll see those; they're on either side of uh, the actual you know unit itself. Take those out. Um, okay. You're not going to have a whole lot of play to, to actually pull that out of the dash. So, um, you, but you will be able to get to the actual switch itself. And what I would do in this case, um, because it's going to be such an easy way and a very cost-effective, cheap method of troubleshooting, is for this, I would go to the junkyard. And I would get yourself a, a just the actual fan switch itself from the junkyard. It's probably not going to cost you more than a few bucks. And I would be surprised if you had to spend $10 on it. And I would just swap that in. And if everything works the way that it should, you know that you've had a faulty switch at this point. But now if you have the exact same issues as you, as you, has, as you has, have had, then you know that, okay, it's not the switch, and at this point you're only out a few bucks and just a little bit of time. So you haven't in, you know, invested a lar- large amount of time or money in troubleshooting, uh, and that's the whole point in doing self-diagnosis self, uh, of things like this, is spend as little money and as little time as possible and, and to, to isolate the problem. And then once you have isolated the problem, well, it's going to take as much money and as much time as it's going to take to fix it properly. Yeah. A lot of the times, uh, thanks a lot for the call and, uh, hope, hopefully help. We helped you there a bit. Um, now, uh, sometimes you'll run into the, this problem at shops. You'll take your vehicle, you'll explain to them what the problem is and they won't go through the diagnosis. They will just, you know, uh, assume what the issue is, replace it and you get it back and it does the same thing. And this is kind of my frustration with taking my vehicle to, to shops because, they never seem to be as interested in it being fixed and working right as I am. So learning how to troubleshoot these things yourself, and, and Josh, that was a great idea, get a, a used part, and it doesn't matter if it, if even the part tw- the other part's 20 years old, chances of it having the exact same problem are very small. Exactly. Folks, uh, we definitely appreciate that, that last call, and, and we'd like to have you guys call in as well. Um, we do have a live call in, uh, as you obviously have guessed. Uh, that number is <laughs> 267-507-0240, and there's a special code that you're going to have to enter in uh, at the prompt, and that's going to actually connect you to our show, and that code is 219-835. If you're afraid of, uh, of a live conversation, we'd like to hear from you regardless. We do have a 24-7 voicemail line. We'd like to hear from you via that way as well. Call in with a uh, question or a comment about the show, 530-675-4102. And if you're listening to the podcast and you've never uh, tuned in to the live show, don't know what this live show thing is we're talking about, uh, basically Josh and I, Josh is located across the country. I'm located in the Houston area. Josh is in Portland. And we get on uh, Sunday night, we get together on Sunday night on the internet so that we can record the podcast together. And we thought, uh, well, hell, we, we can uh, do a live show while we do this and uh, interact with the people in the chat room on Ustream. So Ustream TV is a, a service, a video service that allows people like me and Josh to send them a, a video audio stream and they will broadcast it out to thousands and thousands of people. Now, in our cases, it's usually about anywhere from uh, 2 to 20 
<laughs> people, but uh, you know that's fine. It's uh, it's a, a live show. It's the podcast in live form, and unless there is a a pre-recorded Jeep tip, uh, pre-recorded electrical and audio tips, or a pre-recorded interview, if you're at the, here at the live show, you get to you get to see and hear the entire podcast. Yep, folks, and uh, obviously the podcast can be found at xjtalkshow.com. You can also find it on iTunes and on Stitcher Radio. Do you have a question or comment that you'd like to hear on the show? Just call 530-675-4102 any time of the day or night and leave it on our voicemail. Hey, this is Tim from Jeep Tubes, and you're listening to the XJ Talk Show. First week in G. Oh boy, has there been some stuff going on this week in Jeep. Secret meetings, a bunch of cloak and dagger type of stuff. And we obviously have something that's been in the news, um, very prominent in the Jeep news world uh, with the whole Jeep recall. Well, what am I talking about as far as a secret meeting? Well, very interesting. In fact, the Chrysler CEO, the U.S. Transportation Secretary, and the NHTSA Administrator all got together a very secret meeting here, uh, early, and was just about a couple weeks ago, really, uh, June 9th. And, um, and this was all about the, uh, the recall, the, the massive recall about around the, uh, the Jeep Grand Cherokees. And w- for those of you who don't know, I'll bring you up to speed re- uh, real quickly. There was um, five million, uh, around 5 million Jeeps that were recalled, one of the largest uh, vehicle recalls in manufacturer's history. Um, and that was uh, stemming around the allegedly unsafe rear end of the Grand Cherokees in collisions, they could potentially blow up uh, or at least catch fire. The, the gas tanks would rupture, um, you know, sparks and whatever uh, would catch things on fire. Now, people have gotten in accidents with Grand Cherokees, and unfortunately, people have died. I think to date, there has been 51 deaths in rear impact crashes after fires um, that the NHTSA is blaming on these ruptured gas tanks. And it's all because the gas tank is located, as many of you may know, um, behind and just slightly below what they consider the, the crumple zone. And so it puts it right into that sweet spot where if something were to happen and you got that, that perfect storm of, of angles and trajectory and impact and all that other stuff to where the gas, can, the gas tank could rupture, the filler hose could be torn from the gas tank and obviously... Uh, we get fuel, and when you get in, in metal against concrete and stuff like that, a vehicle sliding across the road, electrical sparks, all that, well, that's just a very nasty combination. So um, the, the government stepped in. There was a, um, you know, they insisted that Jeep recall. Jeep said, no, there's really nothing wrong with the design. So now all this data and testing had to be provided. Uh, and in fact, recently, uh, after this, uh, after this um, the secret meeting uh, happened, um, they figured out, okay, well, here's what we're going to do to fix it. We're going to just give everybody a trailer hitch. And you're thinking to yourself, okay, well, what's a trailer hitch got to do with a gas tank? Well, a trailer hitch is a rather sturdy subframe that bolts around the area that the same, the same area that the gas tank is, is located in, in fact. And so that's going to put a nice boxed steel, well, little frame around that area to where if there was an impact from the corner, from the side, or from the rear, You've got that trailer hitch that's that's really it's quarter inch wall steel uh, with a class three hitch uh, that's bolted on at least four or five locations on either side of the gas tank. It's really a nice little roll cage around the tank itself. Um, now a lot of people are saying, well, you know, I'm not really too sure about that. Well, that's the fix. This they, they're basically going to be doing the bare minimum uh, to re- uh, to fix this problem. Well, there's been some other confusion going on with this because Jeep has now said, well, we're going to take that recall down from $5 million to $2.7 million because initially the, the 2002 to 2007 Jeep Liberties were lumped into this along with, well, pretty much all of the Grand Cherokees. Uh, from 1993 to 2004 is the recall range on, on the Grand Cherokees. Well, now Jeep said, well, it's, it's really, you can go ahead and take away all the 99 to 2004 Grand Cherokees because, well, they have a different design. And so that, that whole thing isn't uh, been finalized yet. The 2002 to 2000 Liberties, or 2002 to 2007 Liberties also have a different design. So they've taken those out. We've gone from 5 million to 2.7 million and now down to 1.56 million vehicles. It's still a uh, pretty hefty number. But Jeep has released an official technical service bulletin, and they have gone ahead and given you guys, well, the option 
of going in. And for now, at least, it's it's looking like this repair, uh, a.k.a. a trailer hitch installation, is going to be free to those that are affected by this recall. Now, on the NHTSA website, there's still this little caveat about, well, recalls can only happen with vehicles 10 years old. Now, obviously, a lot of these Cherokees, Grand Cherokees, rather, are older than 10 years. And so what's that going to have, you know, how's that affect this recall? How's that affect the repairs? How's that affect this technical service bulletin? There's just a lot of stuff going on right now that we don't have the answers for. I think we're going to hear the answers this week. And next episode, I'm going to have all this wrapped up for you in a nice, pretty bow. Oh, that's just insane. You know, it's interesting that they don't have any of the Jeep Cherokees, uh, the real Cherokees, in the recall. But um, my um, the, the 99, my daughter's drive, has, you know, that plastic tank. No yep. skid, no skid plate, and I have uh, been online looking at uh, trailer hitches, class three tra- trailer hitches, to go on there just to have that little extra peace of mind. Well, you know, I'm going to give somebody, uh, give you guys a little bit of a tip here, and this may may help you, it may not. You might have a better source, you may not. Um, I mean, a lot of guys will go to a junkyard for for a trailer hitch. That's all fine and dandy. I wanted a brand new one. Um, I installed it myself. Uh, it is a lengthy procedure, uh, especially if you've never done anything like it before. I also use the JCR nut strips, um, which uh, go into the go into the the unibody channel, the frame, if you will. Uh, so I upgraded the hardware to mount this thing into as well. I also installed a gas tank skid plate, all at the same time. All very nice to do all at the same time, and it's kind of uh, it's very cumbersome to do by yourself. But I do will tell you this: my local U-Haul price matched. So even though online their class three trailer hitch for the Cherokee was like 257 or something like that. Uh, I did a lot of research, ended up tracking down and was able to print out um, a, a, a cost of a trailer hitch for a class three for a Cherokee for around like $117 or something like that. And they beat it. So I ended up getting my, my, uh, my class three trailer hitch for my 99 for like $107 or something like that is ridiculous. Walked out the door with it, hardware in hand, had the, um, uh, the the JCR nut strips for like thirty bucks, and I got a, a gas tank skid plate uh, off of uh, off of Craigslist, and I, the whole thing into it, I was you know one hundred and fifty, one hundred and sixty bucks all said and done in an afternoon. And I've got a skid a skid tank, I've got a reinforced rear end, uh, and I couldn't be happier. You're listening to the XJ Talk Show. Please help Tony and Josh get more listeners by telling a friend or two or three about the podcast. It's so simple. Just tell them to go to xjtalkshow.com. Okay, look, Tony is really insecure and he measures his success by how many people listen to the show. He is driving us crazy. So please tell a friend. Hey, it's Matt Adair with Petty Cash Racing. Tune in to the XJ Talk Show to find out more about our team and the Jeep we all love. XJTalk.com. It's where you go when you're not off-road. Amazon.com and the XJ Talk Show present You Bought What? Well, as you guys may or may not know, uh, we have a little bit of a relationship with Amazon.com. Uh, it's really easy. Uh, what you, what you, all you got to do is go to xjtalk.com or xjtalkshow.com. See the banner right there on the main page. It looks like the Amazon logo. You click on that. It takes you right over to Amazon where you can c- continue to do all of your online shopping as you normally would through Amazon to get anything majigger that you uh, could possibly imagine. You're still going to p- pay the same great price as you normally would. You're not going to get charged a dime more, not a red cent. But Amazon has agreed to give us a little bit of a kickback. It's a great way to support your favorite podcast. In addition to that, they've agreed to go ahead and give us a list of what's been purchased. We don't know who's been buying this stuff. All we get to see is what has been bought. And we're going to have a little bit of fun with it. Sometimes uh, we get thrown a little bit of a curveball. Sometimes it's some really cool Jeep stuff. This week, what's on the list, Tony? Well, I'm a, let me give the, the listeners a Reader's Digest version of that very well uh, broadcast radio type uh, explanation you gave. If you buy something, if you click on the banner and you then you buy something on Amazon, Josh and I, the XJ Talk Show and XJTalk.com, we get a little bit of a percentage of the sale. And it doesn't cost you anything more. So it really is a win-win. So it looks like, speaking of win-win, it looks like somebody uh, won. I, I like this, uh, these brand uh, of shocks. This is a Monroe gas magnum shock absorber. I would hope it's for a Jeep, but uh, I don't 
guess it really matters. I just kind of like the idea of people buying, you know, listening to the show about Jeeps and then running over to Amazon.com, clicking on the on the banner, going to Amazon.com, and then buying Jeep parts. Oh, yeah. No, that's uh, that's definitely something that, that uh, well, it tickles my fancy. Uh, and Monroe is definitely one of the, uh, you know, the better brands as far as an OEM replacement. So we're really glad to see that on the list. You know, I didn't check. Uh, I wonder if that is the, uh, if it's a, an individual shock that somebody was replacing. Maybe it was the, um, um, God, what do you call it? The stabilizer, steering stabilizer. I no. mean, I'm clicking on the thing free, feverishly and it's not taking me on the link because the link should be there. Well, in any case, yeah. uh, we appreciate the sale. We appreciate the purchase. We've seen a lot of Jeep parts uh, recently in the last couple of months uh, pop across our list, and that's always cool to see. Of course, we, you guys don't have to buy Jeep parts through Amazon. Um, you can uh, buy any old thing, and we've uh, we've seen some really cool, some really funny stuff that Tony and I have had uh, had a lot of fun with. Uh, looks like somebody recently here purchased a gift card, uh, giving somebody else the ability to buy anything that they want. Yeah, it looks like it is a. Um Oh, it was by email because you can actually get a, a gift card from Amazon uh, via email. You just get a, uh, basically you give the person's email address, they'll get a code and they can use it immediately. Talk about getting out of hot water with your girlfriend quickly. You know, you forgot your three week anniversary or, <laughs> you know, you don't want to go down there and stand in line with the other smucks to buy flowers. Honey, you know how much you like to shop online. I thought this would be great. And you got it, you know, you know, get it the same day. And then she goes, yeah, you forgot, didn't you? No, I had it scheduled. Check your email. I swear I got something <laughs> in a surprise for you. And they also have gift cards. Uh, I, I, my mom loves to, to, my wife hates this, but I think it's wonderful to give the gift of, of money or a gift card because then people get that. And then, then they have the joy of going online and, and, or taking the money down and buying whatever they want. And, uh, but, uh, it turns out my mom really likes that. Uh, my mom had her 91st uh, birthday, uh, on the 28th Friday. And, uh, I sent her a Amazon gift card. Now I don't know how much she's going to be able to find on, on Amazon for $10, but she enjoyed getting the card, <laughs> but it was, uh, it was an actual gift wrapped box. They will, uh, ship those cards overnight and it wasn't $10. That was a joke. Uh, <laughs> it was, uh, it's an actual, uh, box with a bow on it and a physical card in it. So she actually got something delivered and got to open it and saw that it was a card. Now she gets to go online. Well, I like the idea of the email gift card. I mean, who wants to deal with snail mail nowadays? So um, that, that's pretty cool. And uh, our, our final item, because we didn't have a lot uh, on our list, uh, shame on all of you out there, is a, uh, what is that, 40, uh, 54, 826 connector, heat shrink, 14-16 gauge, I don't know what the hell that is. It's a connector with heat sink, I guess, for the 14 to 16 gauge wire. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not familiar with the with the Forney uh, 54 826 connector. Um, that, that one's not ringing a bell to me. But I do know about the heat shrink tubing. Uh, it's uh, 14 to 16 gauge. Definitely handy for um, you know handling a lot of the, that primary wiring uh, that we find in the Jeep, especially for, uh, for aftermarket stuff. Yeah, handy things like for off-road lights and uh, making them watertight, waterproof. Just found out what you bought. Oh my god, I just can't believe that made it on the list. Hi, this is Tanya Francine with the National Weather Service Skywarn program, reminding you to keep an eye to the sky and listen to the XJ Talk Show. The XJ Talk Show is now available on iTunes. Subscribe and leave a review. Also, be sure to give us a five star rating. And speaking of iTunes reviews and five-star ratings, we, we have a new one, Josh. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this one is by Joe uh, MN. I'm going to assume maybe he's in Minnesota. So thanks, Joe, for that. This is posted up on June 29th. He says, great podcast, five-star rating. I just picked up my first Jeep this spring, and I don't know a lot about what was going on, or I didn't know a lot of what I was getting myself into. Very glad I started listening to the podcast. A lot of great information put together in an easy-to-listen-to format. Keep up the good work. Yeah, we really appreciate the uh, the iTunes reviews. It helps get the word out to uh, to people on, that use iTunes. And uh, the five star ratings, you know, the more that we get, the more reviews that we get. Uh, that means the more listeners we're going to get, and the more uh, time and effort. And uh, gee, I don't know, all kinds of fun stuff are are involved. I know that 
you know, we, Josh, you and I, we, we try to do the best we can do if, uh, naturally, but there's just something to be said when you have 10,000 people listening to your show <laughs> to make it a great motivator. Yeah, no, absolutely. We like that kind of motivation. And folks, this, uh, the iTunes reviews really helps us sort of climb the charts. And you're thinking, well, you know, how, how big of a chart is there for, you know, an off-road podcast? Well, you know, iTunes, uh, you know, it's uh, just a, it's all a matter of, of perspective and trying to get the XJ Talk Show name up there as high as we can and, and, and spreading the word and just sort of uh, getting people familiarized with what we're doing. Got a tip? We do. It's time for Jeep Tips. Well, guys, this week's Jeep Tips is going to be sort of a live segment. We're going to do this right here on the air right now. And uh, there's something that, uh, that's been, well, I wouldn't say bugging me, but something I've been wanting to share with you guys for a little while now. And, and we've been le- leaving the Jeep Tips up to um, Steve and, and some other guys. I've been kind of handling the electrical side of things for a little while. But this is something I figured I'd share with you guys. Just a couple of things to help you out on the trail in case you end up with some breakage. Uh, now, these are some things that you can uh, that you can do um, in case you end up w- with a couple of issues on the trail. Uh, some last-minute fixes that will help you guys get down off the trail safely. So, one of the things that I've um, that I've encountered myself personally is, well, let's say you're driving along and 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 the terrain is very muddy. And as a good proper off-roader knows, is you need to air down to get yourself the most possible the, the most traction you can uh, possible when on uh, when off-road. And uh, generally, you know, you're going to be down around anywhere from, you know, 8, 10, 12, maybe 15 pounds at most. Um, I usually run myself around 12 pounds with my 33, 12, 50, 15s on 8-inch rims. Um, you can go down to the single digits. I don't remember, recommend going down below 10 unless you have bead locks, though. Um, and especially if you're wheeling in the snow, uh, you definitely want to be as low of a pressure as possible. But there's a chance that you could, you know, blow a bead or you could get some muck and grime and water and other stuff in through that low pressure bead. And the best way to go ahead and, and take care of that, and you're going to notice that very quickly as soon as you start getting up to speed, you're going to hear that and feel that tire just really bouncing around a lot because you're going to have mud and water in that, in that tire and it's going to really throw things off balance. And as soon as you try and drive home with that, there's a good chance you might shear a lug nut or something like that or shear a lug bolt. And that tire go flying off or, or the wheel end up getting sheared off even worse. And that's going to cause a very, very bad day. So you're thinking to yourself, well, geez, how am I going to clear that out when I'm on the trail? Well, the engine that we have is basically just a big air pump. And you can use that air pump to create a vacuum. There's a lot of vacuum lines in the engine. Now, you can use that vacuum line that goes right off onto the, the, uh, the master cylinder, that brake booster right there. You can take a line, extend that line, pull out the valve stem out of the um, out of the tire, and now you've got you know basically that that tire is going to go flat instantly. That's not enough. You actually want to pull a vacuum, and you're going to extend that line off with some hose you get from your hardware store or something like that. Attach it onto that valve stem, and you're going to suck that air all the way out. And what that's going to do is collapse that tire onto the rim, and you're going to be able to basically just pull it off with your hand almost. Now you might want to have a you know a pry bar or something like that on uh, on hand in your tools that you take off road with you uh, to help with this procedure, but that's going to be able to, for you to unseat that tire from the rim and be able to clear the mud or the gunk or the water that's gotten in there that's creating the out of balance issue. Now, once this is all said and done, you reseat that tire, and there's a famous trick that you guys can do. It's you know using some starting fluid, and it will funk. It'll pop that air back, uh, that bead back on. So you disconnect that vacuum, you put your valve stem back on, you get that tire seated back on the rim, spray it all down with, uh, with some uh, uh, starting fluid, and very carefully throw a match at it or a lighter or something like that, and the massive expansion of that, of that flammable fluid expanding out is going to seat that tire right back onto the rim. Now, the most important thing is you need to get air back into that tire very quickly. Because what happens is all that hot air is now trapped inside that tire, and there's a difference in pressure between outside the tire and inside the tire. And as that air cools, well, that higher pressure is going to turn into a low pressure, and you're going to end up with a tire sunken back onto the rim again. So as soon as that bead seats, get an air pressure on, get an air um, air chuck on that, and start pumping that tire back up. And once that's done, now you're going to have a tire that's well better off, ba- better balanced than it was before. And so once you get back onto the road. It's not going to be a very smooth ride, but you're going to be in a lot better position than you were before. 
So once you're, uh, once that's all done, you're back home, you want to take that tire to a shop and get it rebalanced. Now, let's say you've, um, you've come down off the rocks and, uh, or you've run into something and you've bent your tie, uh, you bent your tie rod. Uh, it's all happened to, uh, well, it's happened to a lot of us. It's happened to me. In fact, uh, personally, there's a trick and a fix that if you're carrying a high lift jack that you can get yourself back into a straight, straight enough position to get yourself back off the trail. Uh, all you do is take off the, uh, the tie rod end. You put the jack, the high lift jack handle over the tie rod and put that, uh, t- put that tie rod in back on and it will sort of straighten your, straighten that tie rod out enough to where you can, well, you're not going to be pigeon toed on the trail as much anymore. Now, this isn't going to work for you if you've actually broken a tie rod end or broken a tie rod itself. But if you've bent it, this will help you sort of get back into a moving position to where you can either get off the trail or potentially even get back home. Now, if you've um, really done a number on yourself and you can't get that arc back, what I would recommend doing is with a uh, like a good pipe wrench or a good heavy duty set of channel locks or something, get that uh, get that bent tie rod into a position where you can get a a tow rope around it and wrap it around a tree and use four low and very carefully and with a spotter, I might add, use the power of the Jeep to bend that tie rod back to a somewhat straight position. And then again, use the high lift jack handle to go over that tie rod and be able to get yourself into a more straighter, more suitable position. Because if you don't do something like that and reinforce that bent metal, what's going to happen is the first time that you encounter a steering position where you have to put some force on those wheels, uh, or you're in a uh, in an off-camber position, that rod, once bent, is going to bend very, very easily once again. So without something there to reinforce it, it's just going to bend on you, and you're going to be in a, in a as bad, if not of a worse position than you were before. Now, something else that we've uh, we've run into um, is going to be a spring, uh, springing a leak in a line. Uh, something I'm going to recommend that all of you have in your, uh, in your toolbox at all times off-road is going to be some Gorilla Tape. Gorilla Tape is your friend, and it will seal pretty much anything Outside of an exhaust leak, uh, so a brake line, a power steering hose, a radiator hose, something like that, you'll be able to seal that up with some Gorilla Tape. You might use a half a roll, but it'll get you off the trail. Well, guys, I hope this helps. Tune in next week for some more information and tips. And now for a disclaimer. Jeep Tips is for entertainment purposes only. If you choose to follow these tips, man up and take the responsibility for your own actions. If you cannot or you feel that working on your Jeep is beyond your abilities, seek the help or advice of a trained certified mechanic. Well, that's our show for tonight. Josh, thanks a lot for the uh, impromptu uh, Jeep tip. Boy, it sounded like you had it all prepared. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I uh, enjoyed doing that stuff. It's just some information that I've had uh, tooling around on the back burner for a little while. We've got a few more of those that we'll throw in every now and again, so you guys stay tuned for those. We'll help you out. And I'll remind you of something that uh, certainly Josh alluded to. There's a, a bit of a kit, a bit of a, a, a you know, the, the Gorilla Tape that he mentioned, but also, too, there, you need some way of attaching that high lift uh, jack uh, handle to the tie rod, whether it be uh, some hose clamps or something that would be uh, uh, some way of attaching it. Uh, I don't think you would do it with, with the Gorilla Tape. Uh, I guess if you put enough on there, it would work. Uh, <laughs> but... You know, uh, a valve uh, stem remover. Uh, there's several little items that you need to go along uh, with uh, the suggestions that Josh was making. And just like the disclaimer said, you guys got to be careful doing this stuff. This is man shit. And, <laughs> and you can get hurt doing it. <laughs> yeah, we're just here to help, guys. So, uh, you know, take this with a little bit of grain of salt. Obviously, everybody's got their own tips and tricks and stuff that they've ran into on the trail. If you guys have a, a tip or a trick or something like that you want to add to the list, please let us know. Call that 24-7 voicemail line a call, 530-675-4102. We hope to hear from you soon. Yep, yep. And uh, we want to thank everybody uh, in the uh, chat room. We had uh, about seven or eight people. Uh, in our live show tonight we'd like to see a lot more we'd like to get a lot more live callers i, I really enjoyed that live call thank you very much uh for this the guy was the first time for to be on the live show and of course first time uh, for the live call in so we really appreciate that that was uh, jeep freak from uh, xjtalk.com way cool yeah thanks again for that call folks i really had a good time with that tonight i hope that we we get some more of those as the weeks go on yep that'll be an every week type thing uh, too so We'll see you next week. It'll be a 4th of July weekend, and uh, well, you know, hopefully we'll, all we'll have to, to do is uh, complain about how full we are, Josh. Yeah. 
<laughs> I think there'll be some of that. And hopefully I still have all 10 fingers. So next week, uh, this is Tony. And this is Josh. Have a great, safe week. XJTalk.com is where you go when you're not off-road. And now you can go to XJTalk.com when you're off-road too. Using your smartphone, install the Tap a Talk app, then search for XJTalk. Take XJTalk with you wherever you go. Jury duty, dinner with your spouse's parents, even, well, anywhere you need your XJTalk fix. XJTalk.com. It's where you go when you're not off-road.